Lord, I just pray for all of us in this room. I pray that our hearts are open, our minds are open, our ears are open. Lord, just give me words to speak. Lord, I just just let us continue to worship you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you haven't already. So today we're going to start a new series that if you couldn't tell, it's going to be called A Mother's, Mother's Love. And uh, guys, just so you know, like I, I help you guys out. Like I've got your back. There's only three more weeks till Mother's Day, so no excuses, okay? Make sure children have presents for their mother. Make sure you take care of it in three weeks. That's probably going to be your only warning, so just I, I, I took care of you. But we all have moms, right? That's something that we all have in common. Every single one of us has a mom. Some of us aren't married and some of us don't have children, but that is, that we, we, we have to have a mom. Just biologically, that's just the way it is. Like, we have to have a mom. So moms, though, they do pretty strange things, don't they? Sometimes that you kind of wonder, like, what are you thinking? Like, for instance, in high school, my mom wrote a paper for me. Like, I, I procrastinated. Like, this is my sophomore year, and we know this paper is due at the end of the year because we're warned about it from the very beginning. We're set, like, this is the big project for the year is this paper. So, of course, I procrastinated. I don't do it. I don't get it done. And for some reason, my mom took it upon herself to type out this paper for me. And I would like to think that I dictated it to her and she just typed it. But I think that was probably not the situation. I think I probably just gave her a little bit of information and she just did it. But moms would do, they do crazy things for their children. Like, kids will be out late and who's staying up at night making sure they come home? It's the mom. It's not the dad. Like, I am busy snoring away in my bed. I don't even, couldn't even tell you what time they come home. Or the moms will get up, make sure they get up in the morning. They'll go and wake them up in the morning so that they're not late for school or late for appointment. And here I am like, you know what? Natural consequences are a good thing. Like you miss your appointment, you got to figure it out. Like that's how we learn things. So dads are different than that. Actions that I would consider kind of bizarre and irrational, but that's probably why I'm not a mom because that's the way my brain thinks. And I wonder, well, why do they do this? Why do moms do this? Well, it's because they love their children. Nothing can overcome a mother's love. So what we're going to cover is, we're not going to cover every mom in the Bible, because there's far too many of them. So I just picked out three that had a significant part in history. And some of them have stories in their lives that kind of leave your head scratching, like, like, like moms, what were you thinking? But they did what they thought was best for their children, to protect their children. And then we'll also see that despite their kind of their mom nature kicking in, God still used them. Even when there was things that you go, this doesn't make sense at all. And when the moms took their matters into their own hands, God still uses them. Maybe the moms were thinking that, that maybe they knew better than God. And I will say this, on the scale of, I'd probably put God first and mom's a very close second of who knows best. So the first mom we're going to look at is Rebecca. We're not going to look, we're not going to read all of it because it's, most of the story of Rebecca is in Genesis 24 through 27. So we're just going to pick out some highlights and kind of, kind of abbreviate the story and tell the story. But Rebecca, the trait of this mom that I think that we can describe is she's observant. 
She's observant to the surroundings around her. Something that, like when my kids were little, Kim would, she would be observant to point out all the dangers that were around. Because here I'd be towing my kids by their hands, like just running off to the next adrenaline-filled adventure, just craving that adrenaline and wanting them to share that with me. And Kim, all she was wanting to is for her kids not to get hurt, for her kids to actually survive, or maybe just not be traumatized for life. Like, I don't know if my daughter might be her second service, and you can ask her, because one time we tricked her to go on a roller coaster. To this day, she will tell you that story of how it traumatized and how it tricked her. And just, and it didn't hurt her. Like, it was fun, and she won't admit it, but it really was fun. But she'll never go on another roller coaster again. Like, she doesn't trust me in that. But mom was just trying to protect her. So a lot of times I think we really probably should listen to our moms most of the time. Because they probably do know what's best for us. Before we begin, I want to just kind of give some history of where we're at in the period of time. So Genesis 23, we see the death of Sarah, who is Isaac's mom. And in in chapter 24, we see that Isaac, who is, he's like 40 years old. He's kind of a mama's boy. And he's still living at home. And he's not married. His dad, Abraham, probably goes, you know what? I think it's time for this kid to get out of my basement and get a wife. So he says, I'm going to find him a wife. So he sends his servant out to find a wife for him, for his son. And the servant loads up 10 camels with all kinds of gifts and, and presents for the wife-to-be and for also her fut- the future in-laws, for her family. And he heads out to find him a wife. So the servant, servant gets to the location. He, he's, he's get a well. It's been a long trip. And... So he seeks God's wisdom, and he says, okay, God, here's what I think is we need to do here. So if I see a girl, and this girl comes to the well, I'm going to ask her for a drink, and she gives me a drink, and then she notices that the camels are also need water, and says, I'll water your camels as well. So this is the story in Genesis. It's, it's chapter 24, verse, starting in verse 17. It says, the servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water for my, from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for you camels too, until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his, all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca, and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there a room in your father's house for us to spend the night? So moms and dads, I need to point something out to you, especially with young, you with young kids. When your son or daughter wants to come home and get a nose ring, you better know this verse because they're going to use this against you, of saying that it's okay to get a nose ring. So I'm just warning you again that this, you might want to just be prepared for that battle. Because, and here you go. So the first thing I think we see that Rebecca does is she observes hospitality. Rebecca meets this stranger. She doesn't know who this guy is. She's never met him. And she extends hospitality. You know, in my household, she'd be told, well, don't be talking to strangers because that guy could be a pervert. Now, I'm sure Rebecca was busy. Like, she came to the well for a purpose. Like, she had her own animals to water, to gather water. (coughs) She had her own needs to care for. And she observes this stranger with some camels. 
And she not only, she just stops what she's doing and she gives him water, but she extends this to water the camels as well. Now, I want you to think about this. There's 10 camels. And a camel, they said, after a long journey like that, can drink 53 gallons of water. This is pretty quick math. So 10 times 53. No, 530. So we'll talk about that, Christine, later. So, Jerry, I hope you do the finances. So, so she, think of that. Like she has to drive, draw 530 gallons of water out of the well for this. And let's say she has a five-gallon bucket. That's 106 buckets of water. This is no easy task to show hospitality to this man she doesn't even know. No. And he didn't ask her to water the camels. She offered to water the camels. She observed that the man was thirsty and also these camels were probably thirsty too. She probably maybe saw that he was dusty and, and looked like he just had got, come from a long journey and he traveled this long distance. And so she extended hospitality. Now, hospitality is not something that's that unusual. In fact, in Hebrews 13, 16, we read this. It says, Do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifice, God is pleased. So hospitality pleases God. That's a pretty good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. What I want us to notice is she observes ways also to show hospitality. And then it I just ask, is that a practice that we have in our lives? Do we see people in need? Do we see people that need hospitality and extend that hospitality to them? Do we observe people in, in, around us that, that are, you know, just need something, needs, need a little bit of hospitality, like I said? Or do we just keep our eyes just focused on what we're doing, just kind of in our own little world, our own little planet? Like down here in this week, when I'm at the church during the week preparing for Sunday, like, I've got a choice to make. I can pull the sh two shades down and keep the lights down, and no one will ever know I'm in here. I won't ever be disturbed. I can keep to myself, get a lot of work done. Or I can lift the shades up, and routinely people will come by and sometimes scare the living daylights out of me because I'm working, and they'll knock on my window. And I can go in, out and let them in, talk to them, and extend some hospitality. And it costs me. It'll cost me, but remember, it pleases God. So it costs me my time. Like sometimes I don't get stuff done like when I want to and I have to text Allie and say, guess what? Didn't get my sermon done again. You guess you got to wait till later this week. And she goes, yeah, I'm kind of getting used to it. So, but it costs us some other things too. It might cost us money. Might, we might have to stay up later than we want to. All kinds of things that might cost us. But it pleases God. When we observe people needing hospitality and we extend that hospitality. Now the next part in Rebecca's life is that is the gifts are, are given. Like they, she go, the man goes home with Rebecca to her family and he extends the gifts to, for marriage from Isaac to, to his brother, to the brother and the mother, to the family. And everyone agrees that says, yep, we'll let, it, let her marry Isaac but we want her to stay 10 days. And the man says, nah, I, I need to go back. We need to go right away. So they say, okay, let's let Rebecca decide. So she decides, and she agrees to leave immediately. So I think she observes the calling. Rebecca saw that, that I think this maybe was her calling in her life, that this is what she was supposed to do. And she didn't hesitate. 
Rebecca, Rebecca didn't know what was ahead of her. Like, she didn't have the answer to these questions. Like, was Isaac cute? Was, was Isaac, would, would she even like Isaac? Is Isaac, is he, is, is he nice? What color of hair does he have? What does he look like? Is he short? Is he tall? Like, these are important questions to know, aren't they? Like, like she would ask these questions. Like, like, she should know these, but she doesn't ask them. All we see is, is that she goes. She doesn't have all the answers. It's us in our lives that we heard God's calling. And if you have heard his calling, did you have all the answers when you answered that calling? Or do you have all the answers when you, when you followed God's calling? Did you have all those answers? God's calling could start simply, uh, part of God's calling is simply started by just answering the calling of Jesus. Answering the calling of Jesus and putting your faith in Jesus. That could just be your calling. Simple calling of that. That's the first calling. Your calling could be to go into ministry. Your calling could be just to love your coworkers. Be an example to your workers. Be a light in, in the darkness. Be a light in your workplace. There's all sorts of callings that God puts in your life. Not just in ministry. Callings that involve, well, I think these are the things that really call us to be. is Love your neighbor as yourself. Whereas we've talked about, the neighbor is defined as your enemy. And this calling to go make disciples. Callings that we, we don't have all the answers. Although I know, moms, like you need to know all the answers. Like you want to know what those are. But sometimes we just don't know them. The calling, maybe like in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, these words. Not that I've already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward to Christ Jesus. Rebecca, she didn't know what was ahead. She had no idea, but she was observant and she went ahead. She didn't look behind her. She, didn't, she left the past behind her, left everything behind. Also in this calling is, maybe what we need to ask too is like, why do we do what you do? Are you following God's calling with what you do? Is your answer, I do what I do because that is what God's calling me to do? Is that the answer that, that we give to that question? Of why do I do what I do? This week, maybe there's something we could do this week is just when we catch ourselves or we just have a little quiet moment or maybe we're, we're kind of going down a path that maybe we shouldn't be doing that. That that's really doesn't seem like our calling. Maybe just pause. Pause and just have a little dialogue with God and ask that question, why am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is this God's calling? Is this what God wants me to do? And am I doing it for God? Am I doing it for Him? Next thing in our story is we see Rebecca. So they're riding back to where Isaac lives, riding back to the, his home. And Isaac is out in a field, I think because he probably knows that like, his future wife is coming. So he's out in the field. Rebecca looks up, and he, she sees this young man. And so she puts a veil over her face. And I think what she's doing is she observes customs. Because customs in that day were that the face of the bride was to be covered 
was to be covered and the groom was not supposed to see the face of his wife all the way through the wedding ceremony, through the wedding night, all the way into, to, into the, the tent where they went for that night. Her face was supposed to be covered. Now, why is this important? It's important because let's look at these words of Paul. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. To win as many as possible to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. So my kids and myself growing up, I, I learned proper dress etiquette or proper dress attire. Now, if you didn't know it, proper dress attire in a golf course or a golf club is not sweats and a t-shirt. I had to learn that. My wife had to teach that to me. I had to teach that to my kids. If it weren't for my wife, I wouldn't have known that. Now, she has saved me from several times and maybe some embarrassing moments. And in fact, though, at times, if you, are, you know which Target I go to at night, I can be spotted in Target in my pajamas. So I still have some learning to do. But what Rebecca is showing us is to follow the customs of the land you're in. Follow the customs of where you live. What my wife is teaching is just follow the etiquette of where you are. Like it's, it's not going to hurt me. It's not going to violate anything that God is telling me to do, instructing me to do. That most of the time, following these cultures, following these cultural norms, our, our guidelines, and these guidelines are not asking me to sin. In fact, probably my attitude when I'm saying I'm not going to do them, that's probably then I cross over to my refusal of doing it, crosses over to sin. Because I'm guessing my heart's probably not exactly where it should be. And the worst part of, is of this whole thing of if we don't want to practice these cultural norms, norms assuming that, I mean, most of them aren't asking us to sin, like I said, assuming that, is that as what Paul says, we might lose that opportunity that some of them might be saved. What I'm suggesting is don't lose the opportunity. Just obey the customs. Obey that. Now next we see, see is in the, in the story of Rebecca. This is a pretty common theme in the Bible. It's that Isaac and Rebecca, they're unable to have children. So Isaac prays to God and Rebecca becomes pregnant. Now, I, I would say I think she's probably unaware that she's pregnant with twins. Like obviously she knows she's pregnant, but she may not know that she has twins. And the babies are, start fighting each other in their womb. And let's look at the, the story in Genesis 25, starting in verse 22. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now I'm thinking, I don't know what's happening inside her womb, but you know, my wife's been pregnant, and you know, the baby kind of moves around, pokes its fist, pokes its leg around, but these two must have really been going at it, kind of moving around to her to, to 
inquire to the Lord of what's going on. Now you've got to remember, there's no ultrasounds in those days. There's no even, not even stethoscopes to, to see if there's multiple heartbeats within her womb. Now, I'm not even sure in that day if people could even tell if they're having twins. It might just be a surprise. Like, there's one baby, oh, and then there's another coming. But regardless, what Rebecca, I think, is doing is she observes God. She didn't have the latest copy of what to expect while you're expecting. She didn't have the cell phone on speed dial of an OB. But what she did have is she had God. And she turned to God. And she was observant to see that what is happening to me, this isn't really normal. And if I need help and I need some answers, well, I need to turn to God. And that's what she does. We just got done in a series about the names of God, of who God is. Rebecca knew, I'm sure, that God is a God that provides, a God that sees, a God who heals, a God who is a shepherd, and a God that's just there. Now, where do we go? Where do we go when we have those situations? Where do we go when the wheels have just fallen off of our life? Wheels are just, and maybe just life, life just stinks. Life's just not very good. Where do you go? Are you even observant enough to see that there is a problem? And who do you turn to? Rather than who do you turn, maybe what do you turn to? Rebecca turned to God. And I think that's where we should turn to. That's the place we should start. That's the place we should go. And what we see in this is that God answered. God answers and, and this answer that God gives her will actually be what we'll use for the rest of the day. That, and, and this is kind of where the story kind of takes a shift to where it's a little strange and a little like, I don't know if this is exactly what God would do. But, and it's not that God's answer is strange. It's how Rebecca does with this answer is where it gets strange. And the part we need to remember of this, this little section we just read is, that the older will serve the younger. Just keep that in the back of your mind. So Rebecca gives birth to these twins. They're not identical. One is described as red and hairy, and his name is Esau. Now the next is, is and Esau is the firstborn. So in this culture, the firstborn is entitled to the birthright and the blessing. So it's important to, to be the firstborn. So they get this from their father after he dies. And you could probably look at it this way. So if you're firstborn, you, you kind of just get everything. And there's no questions asked. So the second child comes out, and he's grasp, grasping the heel of his older brother Esau. And that when this, this child comes out, he, his name is, is, is Jacob. And just for trivia, you might, it, the name Jacob means to, he deceives or supplants. You'll find out that this is kind of, it's not really ironic. It's God's, what God does. But it's just how that name fits. So the boys grow up. Esau is Isaac's favorite. And that's because Esau is he's a hunter. He's outdoorsman. He's this hunter-gatherer. You're, you're stereotypical male child. Jacob, on the other hand, is Rebecca's favorite. He wasn't your stereotypical male. He liked hanging around the tent, helping his mother, and those kind of things. Now, a little side note here. I just want to make a point here that we don't have to be all the same. 
Like a male child doesn't have to be this hunter or gatherer or whatever. Some male child just likes to be around the house, and that's okay. God created us all the same. Like he created us male and female, but we don't need, everybody doesn't need to fit in those stereotypes. So we can kind of get rid of those stereotypes. So back to our story. Jacob tricks Esau out of his birthright. So Esau is out hunting. He's wandering in the woods. He comes back really hungry. And Jacob has cooked some stew. So he says, I'll give you some. You know, Esau's demanding he's hungry. Give me something to eat. And so Jacob says, well, give me your birthright and I'll give you the stew. So that's pretty fair, right? Like, trade everything for a bowl of stew. Now, as I mentioned, that that Esau was entitled to, to be the next head of the household and inherit his father's estate. And it, it's not quite everything, but he was to inherit this double portion of whatever was passed down. So it's technically not everything, but it's a significant amount. And so at this point now, Jacob has that birthright. Now, Isaac is very old, the father. He's very old, he's blind, and he's about to die. So he sends Esau out to hunt, and to prepare a meal for him, a wild game, so that then Isaac can give Esau the blessing. Well, who overhears this? Rebecca overhears this conversation, and she devises some other plans. Or is she just remembering what God's words were? Like I told you, remember, that the older will serve the younger. So this is like a suspense thriller, right? At this point, so just... just Imagine a dark tent. You got this dark tent. It's, maybe there's incense burning in this tent because Isaac is sick and he's ill and he can't see. And so it kind of calms him with this incense. And here's Rebecca hiding in a dark corner. She's kind of, maybe she's got an animal blanket, skin blanket over her. She's listening to every word. And maybe she's plotting. Or maybe she just observes life. Rebecca may have been lurking. I don't know. She might have been a lurking, but she might have been observing what was just going on in her household, like a mom does. Like moms, they, they know what's going on with their kids and with their households. Like they just know. And Rebecca comes up with this plan or this idea where Joshua is now going to receive this blessing from her father, from the father. And this is in Genesis 27. You could read that this week. But what happens is now she says, okay, Jacob, I'm going to cook this meal. I'm going to go, go cook this meal up for, for Isaac, and you're going to take it to him and receive the blessing. And, and Jacob's like, ah, Mom, that's not going to work. Like, I'm not my brother. She goes, that's fine. Go get your brother's clothes. Put your brother's clothes on. I'm going to put some, some goat skin on your, on your arms and your chest so you're hairy like your brother. And go to your father and take this, this meal to him. So he goes in, he still, I don't think he's convinced this is going to work. And so he talks, and Isaac goes, ah, it's not Esau. Jacob goes, yeah, it is. And Isaac says, come here. So he smells him, touches his arms, and he feels the hair, and he smells him, and he goes, ah, I guess that's Esau. So then he gives Jacob the blessing. Remember those words that God gave Rebekah, that the older is going to serve the younger. Now Jacob has the birthright and the blessing. So that's what's going to happen now. And this is where I go, this is a weird story. Like, this is strange. Because this is deception. This is lies. This is sneaking around. 
This is eavesdropping on conversations. There's secrets. There's whispering to one another. Just like our lives. Because who hasn't whispered to a coworker? Who hasn't had at least a little deception in something that they've done in their lives? Like who hasn't ever sold a car or sold something and when they ask this question, well, is there anything wrong with it? Oh no, everything's great. Everything's wonderful. And you're not 100% honest. You kind of bend the truth a little bit, lie a little bit, a little bit deceptive. Or since we all have moms and we're talking about moms, who as a child get in trouble, who doesn't just bend the truth just a little bit Save yourself from getting a whooping. Funny, huh? Just me and me and Arnie are the only ones who ever did that, huh? Nobody else, nobody else would admit it, Arnie. It'd just be me and you. So was Rebecca taking initiative in this, or was she helping God fulfill these words? Was she helping God of giving of helping him fulfill these words for her two sons? Rebecca just being a mama bear, protecting her younger son, and again, helping God be God. Well, does God need our help? Maybe the, the answer is despite our so-called help and our meddling, even despite all that, God is still able to accomplish his will, even with our sinful behavior and our deception and our lies. Story, this where I go, that doesn't make sense to me. But I believe that God meant for, he meant those words that God said to Rebecca that Esau is going to serve his younger brother, Jacob. But I have a hard time seeing that that's actually how God would achieve that. And I have no idea how he would achieve that. Like, I have no idea if this wasn't the situation, how that future for those two boys would have happened. But was Rebecca and Isaac, maybe they're seeking their own self interest? Did Rebecca lacked faith that God could accomplish what she was told. And she had, if she didn't intervene, like she felt she had to intervene. Now, not just moms, but all of us, we like to intervene and jump in. Just kind of not wait. Be impatient. I've, I know that I've done that lots of times, where I've tried to help God out because I think he needs my help. And I actually end up making the matter worse than it was. Like This is kind of a dumb thing, but... so. We were in a church in Missoula, and we were, they are remodeling it, and they are putting in new light fixtures. And I was told that the breaker box was off, and I'm like, and someone was going to go check it, and there's actually an electrician that was coming. Well, I was impatient. I was going to help God out. I figured, how hard can it be? You cut a wire here, cut a wire there, put them back together, and good to go. Let's just say the breaker wasn't off. I learned the lesson pretty quick. Maybe be, I don't need to, maybe be more patient. The couple of verses in Psalm 27 come to my mind. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I'm saying wait. Like be observant of your life. Be observant of what's going on in your life. But as the Psalm says, see the goodness of the Lord in your life and wait. That doesn't mean you just sit around the house doing nothing. Doesn't mean that. Like Jesus said, go make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey my commandments. That isn't Jesus asking for help, that's Jesus commanding us. 
Look at it this way. If my mom asked me to take asked me, can you help me take out the garbage? It gives me a little bit of an out. I could say yes, I could say no, or I could take one little piece of paper out of garbage and I still helped. But if my mom says, Jared, go take out the garbage, I don't have a choice. Then I'm expected to do it and do all of it. For us, even though I don't agree with Rebecca's tactics or deception, like I don't, I don't understand that, but I do see that we should Pay attention to what's around us. Pay attention to this and observe our life. Observe our life for opportunities to make disciples as Jesus commands us. Observe those in need and help those in needs. Again, commanded to. Observe those opportunities to love one another. Again, we're commanded to do all of that. Now you can imagine when Esau showed back up and he goes in, he prepares a meal and he goes back into his dad and his dad goes, uh, I already gave the blessing away to your little brother. Imagine how mad Esau was. He was mad. He wanted to kill Jacob, literally. Rebecca also observes this. So she goes to Isaac and she says, you know what, our son Jacob, he's got to, I don't like these women around here. I don't like these Hittites. You know, they need, he needs to go somewhere else and find a wife. So Isaac calls Jacob in, blesses him again, and sends him off to find his wife giving Esau time to cool down. And what I think we see is Rebecca observes sacrifice. Now, I think she's being a mama bear. She is. She's protecting her son. She's protecting Jacob. And, but she also knows that she may never lay eyes on her son again. In the rest of the story, actually, there's no mention of this happy reunion between Jacob and Rebecca. We have no idea if they ever saw each other again. The sacrifice seeing her son a, a sacri- the sacrifice of sending her son away to, to protect him. And I actually think that's something that most, uh, almost all the mothers in this room would do for their children, to protect them. Here's a story from World War II. Solomon Rosenberg had a wife, he had two sons, and his mother and father. They were arrested, put into a Nazi concentration camp in World War II. And it was a labor camp, so the rules were simple. As long as you do your work, you're permitted to live. When you became too weak to do your work, you're exterminated. So Rosenberg watched his mother and father being marched off to their death one day because they were too weak to work. And he knew his youngest son David was going to be next. Because his son David was, he described as a frail child. But every evening when Rosenberg got done with his work, everybody was back in the barracks, they would, he would search around and find everybody, find the familiar faces of his family. And when he found them, he huddled together, they embraced one another, and they thanked God for another day of life. And one day Rosenberg came back, but he didn't see those familiar faces. He finally discovered his oldest son Joshua in a corner, huddled, weeping and praying. He said, Josh, tell me it's not true. Josh turned and said, it is true, Papa. Today David was not strong enough to do his work, so they came for him. But where's your mother? asked Mr. Rosenberg. Oh, Papa, he exclaimed. When they came for David, he was afraid, and he was crying. Mama said, there's nothing to be afraid of, David. And then she took his hand and went with him. There's another story of a mother in the Bible facing, seeing her child face death. Mary watched her son carry the cross to his death. 
And I wonder, did she know why? There's a why described in 1 John 2, too. It says, when he served as a sacrifice for our sins, he solved the sin problem for good, not only ours, but the whole world's. A mother's love. Mother's loved, and in the case of Mary, she watched her son die. Rebecca, watching her son leave, not knowing if she's ever going to see him again. Mother's love that I think we can learn a lot from. In the case of Rebecca, we learn from her how I think we need to be observant. We can be observant. We don't need to necessarily take matters into our own hands and be deceptive, but we can observe this story that also they God uses everyone, even despite that. Like the lobby, the sign that's in the lobby, that you guys look at it when you go out today. No perfect people allowed. That God uses, still uses imperfect people, like all of us, everyone in this room, despite our flaws. Some of us more than others. Ask my friends, they'll give you a long, long list. But we can be observant and should be observant should be willing to answer that call when we observe it. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for these words. Thank you for the story of...